Chapter Twelve of The Protector by Harold Bindloss. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Protector by Harold Bindloss. Chapter Twelve. Vane grows restless. Vane had been back in Vancouver a fortnight when he sat one evening on the veranda of Nairn's house in company with his host and Carroll, lazily looking down upon the inlet. Nairn referred to one of the papers in his hand. Horsefield has been bringing up that smelter project again, and there's something to be said in favor of his views, he remarked. We're paying a good deal for reduction. We couldn't keep a smelter going at present, Vane objected. There are two or three low-grade mineral properties in the neighborhood of the Claremont that have only had a little development work done on them, Nairn pointed out. They can't pay freight on their raw product, but I'm thinking we'd encourage their owners to open up the mines and get their business, if we had a smelter handy. It wouldn't amount to much, Vane replied. Besides, there's another objection. We haven't the dollars to put up a thoroughly efficient plant. Horsefield's ready to find part of them and do the work. I know he is, said Vane. He's suspiciously eager. The arrangement would give him a pretty strong hold upon the company. There are ways in which he could squeeze us. It's possible, but looking at it as a personal matter, there are inducements he could offer you. Horsefield's a man who has the handling of other folks' dollars as well as a good many of his own. It might be wise to stand in with him. So he hinted, Vane answered shortly. Your argument was about the worst you could have used, Mr. Nairn, Carroll broke in, laughing. Well, said Nairn, good-humoredly, I'm not urging it. I would not see your partner make enemies for the want of a warning. He'd probably do so in any case. It's a gift of his, said Carroll. On the other hand, it's fortunate he has a way of making friends. The two things sometimes go together. Vane turned to Nairn with signs of impatience. It might save trouble if I state that while I'm a director of the Claremont, I expect to be content with a fair profit on my stock in the company. He's modest, Carroll commented. What he means is that he doesn't propose to augment that profit by taking advantage of his position. It's a creditable idea, though I'm not sure it's as common as might be desired. While I have to thank you for it, I would not consider the explanation altogether necessary, said Nairn, whose eyes twinkled. Then he addressed Vane. Now we come to another point. The company's a small one, the mine is doing satisfactorily, and the moment's favorable for the floating of mineral properties. If we got an option on the half-developed claims near the Claremont, and went into the market, it's likely that an issue of new stock would meet with investors' favor. I suppose so, said Vane. I'll support such a scheme when I can see how an increased capital could be used to advantage, and I am convinced about the need for a smelter. 
At present, that's not the case. I mentioned it as a duty. You'll hear more of it. For the rest, I'm inclined to agree with you, Nairn replied. A few minutes later he went into the house with Carroll, and as they entered it he glanced at his companion. "'In the present instance Mr. Vane's views are sound,' he said. "'But I see difficulties before him.' "'So do I. When he grapples with him it will be by a frontal attack. A bit of compromise is judicious now and then. In a general way it's not likely to appeal to my partner.' When he can't get through by direct means, there'll be something wrecked. You had better understand what kind of man he is. It's not the first time I've been enlightened upon the point. Shortly after they had disappeared, Miss Horsfield came out of another door, and Vane rose when she approached him. Mrs. Nairn told me I would find you and the others on the veranda, she informed him. She said she would join you presently, and it was too fine to stay in. "'I think she was right,' Vane replied. "'As you see, I am alone. Nairn and Carroll have just deserted me, but I can't complain. What pleases me most about this house is that you can do what you like in it, and, within limits, the same thing applies to this city.' Jessie laughed and sank gracefully into the chair he drew forward. "'Yes,' she said. "'I think that would please you. But how long have you been back?' "'A fortnight since yesterday.' There was a hint of reproach in the glance Jessie favored him with. "'Then I think Mrs. Nairn might have brought you over to see us.' Vane wondered if she meant she was surprised he had not come of his own accord, and he was mildly flattered. "'I was away at the mine a good deal of the time,' he replied deprecatingly. "'I wonder if you are sorry to get back?' Turning a little, Vane indicated the climbing city, rising tier on tier above its waterfront, and then the broad expanse of blue inlet and the faint white line of towering snow. "'Wouldn't anything I could say in praise of Vancouver be trifle superfluous?' he asked. Jessie recognized that he had parried her question neatly, but this did not deter her. She was anxious to learn if he had felt any regret in leaving England, or, to be more concise, if there was anybody in that country whom he had reluctantly parted from. She admitted that the man attracted her. There was a breezy freshness about him, and though she was acquainted with a number of young men whose conversation was characterized by snap and sparkle, they needed toning down. This miner was set apart from them by something which he had doubtless acquired in youth in the older land. "'That wasn't quite what I meant,' she said. "'We don't always want to be flattered, and I'm in search of information.' You told me you had been nine years in this country, and life must be rather different yonder. How did it strike you after the absence? It's difficult to explain, Vane replied with an air of amused reflection which hinted that he meant to get away from the point. On the whole, I think I'm more interested in the question how I struck them. 
it's curious that whereas some folks insist upon considering me english here i've a suspicion that they looked upon me as a typical colonial there one wouldn't like to think you resented it how could i this land sheltered me when i was an outcast and set me on my feet ah said jessie you are the kind we don't mind taking in the rest go back and abuse us but you haven't given me very much information yet then said vane the best comparison is supplied by my first remark that in this city you can do what you like you're rather fenced in yonder which if you're of a placid disposition is no doubt comforting because it shuts out unpleasant things on the other hand if you happen to be restless and active the fences are inconvenient because you can't always climb over and it is not considered proper to break them down still having admitted that i'm proud of the old land it's only the fences that irritate me fences would naturally be obnoxious to you but we have some here they're generally built loose of split rails and not nailed an energetic man can pull off a bar or two and stride over if it's necessary he can afterwards put them up again and there's no harm done would you do the latter vane's expression changed no he said i think if there were anything good on the other side i'd widen the gap so that the less agile and the needy could crawl through he smiled at her you see i owe some of them a good deal they were the only friends i had when i first tramped jaded and footsore about the province jessie was pleased with his answer she had heard of the bush chopper's free hospitality and she thought it was a graceful thing that he should acknowledge his debt to them. "'Now, at last, you'll be content to rest a while,' she suggested. "'I dare say you deserve it.' "'It's strange you should say that, because just before you came out of the house I was thinking that I'd sat still long enough,' Vane answered with a laugh. "'It's a thing that gets monotonous. One must keep going on.' then said jessie take care you don't walk over a precipice some day when you have left all the fences behind but i've kept you from your meditations and i had better see if mrs nairn is coming she left him and he was lighting a cigar when he noticed a girl whose appearance seemed familiar in the road below moving along the veranda he recognized her as kitty and hastily crossed the lawn towards her she was accompanied by a young man whom vane had once seen in the city but she greeted him with evident pleasure tom she said when they had exchanged a few words this is mr vane then turning to vane she added mr drayton vane who liked the man's face and manner shook hands with him and then looked back at kitty "'What are you doing now, and how are little Elsie and her mother?' he inquired. Kitty's face clouded. "'Mrs. Marvin's dead. 
Elsie's with some friends at Spokane, and I think she's well looked after. I've given up the stage. Tom, she explained shyly, didn't like it. Now I'm with some people at a ranch near the Fraser on the Westminster Road. There are two or three children, and I'm fond of them. Drayton smiled. She won't be there long. I've wanted to meet you for some time, Mr. Vane. They told me at the office that you were away. Ah, said Vane, I suppose my congratulations won't be out of place. Won't you ask me to the wedding? Kitty blushed. Will you come? Try, said Vane, and Drayton broke in. There's nobody we would sooner see. I'm heavily in your debt, Mr. Vane. Oh, tcha, rejoined Vane. Come and see me any time. Tomorrow, if you can manage it. Drayton said he would do so, and shortly afterwards he and Kitty moved away, but Vane, who turned back across the lawn, was not aware that Jessie had watched the meeting from the veranda and had recognized Kitty, whom she had once seen at the station. She had already ascertained that the girl had arrived at Vancouver in his company, which, in view of the opinion she had formed about him, somewhat puzzled her, but she said one must endeavor to be charitable. Besides, having closely watched the little group, she was inclined to believe from the way Vane shook hands with the man that there was no danger to be apprehended from Kitty. End of chapter 12 Recording by Roger Moline